Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Hyper Guy Motivational Podcast. Steve probably, he's never heard of me, but I can tell you I've followed Steve his whole life. And I'm so, so excited to have him. Wow, my whole life, that's a long time. (laughs) Yes, yes. And I want to tell you, I'm so excited to have you because um, you're a mentor and someone I really, really look up to. And um, yeah, thank you so much for being here. So Steve Maxwell, he's a world famous strength and conditioning coach. He's one of the first people in the world to teach um, Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. He's actually the first certified instructor to teach Gracie Jiu-Jitsu in the world. He has a master's degree in exercise science. He's been featured in magazines all across the world as one of the top fitness uh, instructors and trainers in the world. He's considered to be the the founder, uh, founding father of the kettlebell workouts that everyone in the world and everybody I know has heard about, but they didn't know who started. So I get to have you on here today for that, Steve. Um, he has a wonderful, wonderful training videos. Uh, he has his own website that he'll give you at the end. And he has training videos on mo- mobility, functional fitness, joint uh, mobility, body weight training, gym set workouts. He has the Ageless Athlete Training Series, isometric training, as I said before, kettlebell training. Uh, he also teaches jujitsu around the world. He's a world traveler. And he's an amazing father too. So, thank you so much for being here. I I can go on and on if you want, Steve. Now, I, I'd like to correct you a couple of those things. I, I wasn't the first in the world to be certified to teach Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. I, I happen to I happen to get certified by Orion and Elia Gracie first one to get the certificate. Exactly, but that's what I meant. Way, way before me, there was Richard Bressler and. Uh, uh, there was uh, Lowell Anderson that were teaching at the Gracie Academy, and they were, they were, uh, they were definitely uh, certified instructors. But I went through; I was the first to graduate from the instructor training program in Torrance, California, and get my teaching certificate. And I, I remember Lowell; he's he's one of the uh, originals as well. I remember Lowell. He, I don't yeah, know man, he, he's I, one I of the OG, uh, you know, OG guys. What what is he doing? I don't even know what he's doing nowadays. Uh, you know, I don't either. I lost touch, but uh, I sure liked him. He, he was really good to me at the old Gracie Academy. Now, and I, I still talk to Richard Bressler all the time. Oh, that's amazing! I, yeah, I, I, now Richard was, uh, you know, he really helped me out at the old Gracie Academy. You know, uh, when I was struggling to get the teaching certificate, he taught me exactly how to talk to Horian. It wasn't I didn't know the material, but Horian needed it to present it in a particular way for him to be satisfied. And Richard knew Horion inside and out. He had actually been his roommate. So, you know, I got props to uh, my friend Richard Bressler. So, so he gave you some good techniques. Well, let me ask you, I want to start from the beginning because you have an amazing life. And that's what I really, really wanted you to hear for to inspire other people because you have, a, you have an amazing life. And it, what I love about you, Steve, is that you continue this life journey. Like it's been like, it's a focus of yours to continue this life journey. Like there's no stop with you. And where were you born and raised? I was born in Erie, Pennsylvania, right on the Great Lake. Um, And then my father, he worked for the Federal Department of Agriculture and he kept getting these promotions. And there was a lot of programs uh, with the Federal Department of Agriculture in those days. And he had to go to different areas. So we traveled a lot. You know, we were all over Pennsylvania for the most part of my early childhood. But we ended up in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which was uh, famous for a lot of reasons. It was the crossing of two famous Indian trails. It was 
the home of four signers of the Declaration of Independence. It was the furthest point north that the Confederate Army uh, traveled into the uh, Union during the Civil War. Uh, it was, uh, yeah, it was just like full of history, you know. Uh, the famous heroine of Monmouth, Molly Pitcher, is buried there. And let's not forget the the uh, United States Army War College, which is a uh, continuing education for for uh, colonels and you know high level uh, military guys to get continuing education at this United States Army War College, and it was the home of the uh, uh, the uh, Jim Thorpe. He he went to the Carlisle Indian School there. It was a national Indian school, and Jim Thorpe was an amazing athlete, considered the greatest athlete of the last century. Um, and uh, I went to school with two of his great nephews. Wow. And what yeah, was I graduated your... with uh, Ron Thorpe from Carlisle High School, uh, class what... of 1970. What and was your he was, uh, uh, Yeah, really funny too, because uh, he wasn't that good of an athlete. And what and what was what was your childhood like growing up? Were you always into sports? And what it's was very your... I, idyllic, you know. It's back when you know kids still would go outside and play all day. I can remember my mother giving us, you know, have you know, we ate, everyone always had breakfast. She would uh, have a brown paper bag lunch. She'd send us out the door. She said, "I'll see you at dinner," <laughs> and we would literally go out and play in the farms and the fields. Um, there was a creek, the Connecticut Creek nearby. We would go down there. We made tree forts, and uh, I, I I built a raft uh, out of wood. And um, you know, there was an old boat down there that one of the kids' fathers owned. And we were always on the, you know, we we would pretend we were Vikings and get garbage can lids, and you know, it just like really idyllic, you know. Really, uh, it was very rural and a lot of woods and trees and nature to play in. And, and what uh, was, I felt really lucky that way. What was your relationship? Did you have brothers and sisters too? I had a brother. Uh, he died when I was uh, 30, well, actually 29. He was a year and a half younger than me. He uh, died of glomerular nephritis. And uh, I had a, a much younger sister, 12 years younger. I was 12 years old when she was born. And... Uh, for for the most part, my brother and I were pretty close. A lot of, a lot of times, people thought we were twins, and uh, he was pretty athletic. Uh, I sucked in most sports. I found I was a very small boy. I wasn't very well developed, and uh, my father saw that I was getting picked on a little bit by some of the older kids in the neighborhood. So when I was twelve years old, he bought me a barbell set from York, Pennsylvania, and I started lifting down the, the, my father's basement and uh, I, I set up like a little basement gym down there and a lot of the stuff I just made myself I didn't have squat stands so I uh, I stole my the the, uh, the chains and rings off my sister's swing set and I put holes through these two support beams and I ran the chain through it and then I thrust the barbell through the rings and would load it up and I would do bottoms up squats. In other words, I put the chains low enough so I was in the bottom of a squat and uh, started the old 20 rep squat routines back then, you know? 
just murderous. And I made a, a bench press out of wooden crates and boards and fence posts and stuff my dad had. I, I was pretty handy that way. Yeah, I just used, you know, when you're, you know, it's like one of those kids that no one ever told me that, you know, I, I can't do this or can't do that. I just did it. Made it a very functional little bench press. And each birthday or Christmas, my dad would buy me, you know, more weight or an extra bar or two. So I had a pretty cool little setup down in my dad's basement. And I went from like one of the weakest kids to one of the strongest kids in school. And when I went out for seventh grade wrestling, wow, I found my sport. You know, I was a little too small for football and uh, wasn't fast enough for track and field. Um, I, 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 I had visual problems. Uh, I, I wasn't good at baseball. It was hard for me to track the ball. I didn't like baseball. You know, and that was like a big sport back in the day. There was no soccer or gymnastics or anything in those days, you know. We're talking about 1960s uh, America. You know, soccer didn't even exist. But, uh, man, when I went out for wrestling, that was my baby right there, man. I loved it. And I had instant success. And uh, went on with a love affair for many years. I wrestled all through high school. Re uh, wrestled Division One NCAA. Uh, had a really good record my senior year. Qualified for nationals. Uh, Runner-up MICs. And just had a really, uh, really good wrestling career. And then coached and taught junior high school physical education. Growing up, my my mentors were my PE teachers and coaches, and I really admired them. And I knew at 12 years old that I wanted to be in the physical education business. I knew I wanted to be in, in the fitness. And in those days, you know, uh, it was kind of more like physical culture than like the modern bodybuilding that you see nowadays. You know, in those days, uh, in the 50s and 60s, the bodybuilders were really athletic guys, you know. They did things like hand balancing. They still performed the Olympic weightlifting, uh, the Olympic lifts. Uh, many of them could do backflips and, you know, they would do this in their posing routines. Uh, you know, they, they, these were like all around guys that could do stuff, not just, you know, all show. All show and no go, you know. So you, so you've always been really, really into. At twelve year old, twelve years old, you knew that you wanted to to be into in, related or do something with fitness. I did, I did. And now, I I, I majored in health and PE at uh, Westchester State, but uh, I quickly realized my first two years of teaching school. I taught ju junior high school, but I I wasn't cut out for it. I mean, I didn't like working with the kids that much. But before that, I, I got a job working part-time at one of the first Nautilus gyms in Pennsylvania. I think it was the first one. <laughs> it's called Huff and Puff Gym in the Drexel Line Shopping Center. It was run by a guy by the name of uh, Gregory Ellis, who's actually a, a doctor now, PhD. And uh, another guy, a bodybuilder and a uh, martial artist by the name of John Carton. And they were had great influence on, on me. Up to that point, I was using the old York barbell courses and, you know, the popular workouts of the time, you know, the 20 rep squat routine, uh, the old um, five by five workouts, you know, uh, Bill Starr was a pretty big influence. Uh, Bradley Steiner, you know, these were writers at the time. 
And of course, I read everything I could get my hands on, the old strength and health, muscular development. Uh, and then Perry Raider's Iron Man magazine was fantastic. And I had read an article by Arthur Jones about Nautilus equipment, and I got really intrigued. I was uh, my sophomore year at Westchester and was wrestling on the team. And I went down and, man, I was really amazed at how effective these Nautilus machines were. You know, you hear all this stuff about functional fitness and all this stuff. Uh, a lot of it's complete crap, complete nonsense. You know, what is functional fitness? Functional fitness is anything that makes you stronger and, 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 and more fit. And there's very good ways to do that that are sustainable and safe. And there's a lot of bad ways to, to do that. But I got great results from the old Nautilus circuits. Brutally hard. Brutally hard. And I started working part-time on weekends and then during the summer. And I realized I really liked the fitness business. And it was just starting. That was just the beginning. Personal training did not exist. Running wasn't even popular. It was just started during the 70s, the running boom. Uh, up to that time, if you were running, people, you know, the, the police would stop and, and, and check you out. They figured you're running from a crime scene or something. You know? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I mean, we would run for football and wrestling, you know, is that was that old school mentality that, you know, you needed to, to, to run to get in shape. You know, we know better now, but in those days, that was what you did, you know. And uh, what, what? let me ask you this question. When you were in high school, you said you really, really got into um, wrestling. Were you a good student at the time? And were you like really focused on working out and wrestling and studying? And how did that work in your life? And what was your normal workout routine? I was a poor day. student, actually. I didn't like school, except the subjects I liked, always. Subjects I didn't like, you know, C's, sometimes D's. Of course, my father, he was quite a disciplinarian, so, you know, he would really give me a hard time about, you know, anything that wasn't an A or a B. But I, I just didn't like certain subjects, and I just would refuse to get engaged. I loved history. That was my favorite. I really did. I was pretty good at English. You know, I liked literature. But, you know, things like math and science, some science, some, some I, I love biology. I thought that was quite fascinating, you know. And, uh, you know, I, I struggled with uh, math for some reason. Uh, it, it just eluded me. It was just too, I don't know, esoteric or something. I, you know, it's just difficult. But, um uh, I would study the things I really liked. And when but I, I was also uh, in a high school marching band, which was kind of unusual, you know, to be an athlete and in the band. And I, I you know, I played in the uh, drum line. Maybe you've seen these drum lines. We had a pretty good drum line. And um, it, it, our band it, it, was uh, world champion caliber. We won many national and world titles. Uh, my first trip to Europe was with my band. We got invited to the World Festival of Music in Holland and uh, competed in one of three first places in um, marching field and uh, stage band competition. So we were we were pretty good, man. The whole town had raised funds to send us kids to uh, Holland to compete in this uh, World Festival of Music. So, you know, Carlisle's band was famous. And what... So, and what so after high school, did you go on to, you went into college, did you get a scholarship in wrestling? Is that how you entered college? Yeah. Uh, 
a partial scholarship. It, it wasn't like an official scholarship. There was a guy by the name of uh, Al uh, Wirtz that was the uh, CEO of Abbott's Dairies, and he loved Maslin. He was a big supporter. And he would get us guys jobs at the dairy um, during the summertime, and it paid really good. And, you know, I from the time I was like uh, 12 years old, I had jobs. My dad made me go out and work, you know. So, you know, one year, you know, I worked on a farm um, helping bale hay, you know. That's, that's hard-ass work, man. Going out in the field, picking up hay bales and throwing them on a flatbed pulled by a tractor and then going to a barn and hoisting them up into the loft and then stacking the bales. And that, that's a man's work, you know, I was 12. You know, I worked uh, for the um, recreation department mowing lawns, you know, going around to all the baseball fields and recreational parks, you know, emptying trash, mowing lawns, you know, raking, cleaning, whatever they told me to do, you know. And um, later when I was like um, 15, um, 14 or 15, I started working for Red Ball Moving and Storage. I was furniture mover. That's also backbreaking work. But, you know, I had been lifting weights and, you know, I was a pretty strong kid. And these older guys, you know, they couldn't believe that this young teenager was like lifting soap beds and, and, and uh, these, you know, Burka, uh, these recliner chairs all by himself. In those days, TVs were huge. No flat screens, big old consoles, you know. They were awkward and they're heavy. And I took great pride in lifting this stuff. And they're always saying, ah, oh, you're going to get hurt. You're going to get hurt. You know, they're all oh, yeah. fra- freaked out that this young guy was like lifting all this stuff and walking up a couple of flights of stairs. So I, I had physical jobs, real physical. I knew how to work. I had a good work ethic. And, you know, when I graduated from college in 1974, I did not have one bill. Wow. Everything was paid off. I had so you, earned so you, all that money. So you worked, you, you worked while you were in college the whole time? Yes. I also had part-time jobs in college. And when, you, and when did you decide to get your master's degree? At? You, did you, that, that, uh, that was a post, yeah, after, after I was teaching school at a junior high school. Uh, it was actually uh, in uh, the, in, in uh, history. It was a histological and philosophical basis of health and physical education. Wow. And then it was uh, a really good program. It was really, really good. It was run by this guy, Dr. Sturzbecker, who was a, uh, uh, he was a PE guy, but he, he was also like an archaeologist, kind of like an Indiana Jones guy. He was a really fascinating guy. And he had all these amazing films of, of like uh, ancient Greece and Rome. And, and, you know, he had actually been a dig. He was real interested in the origins of, of health and physical education in the world. And he, he had traveled all over the place. And uh, he knew so much about uh, uh, ancient Greece. It was like one of his pet uh, projects. So as a result, I, I became quite fascinated with it. And then you went on. When did you? So your your fitness career started to blow up. When, like, after you finished your masters, you did you end well, up? Well, I, I I quit teaching school. I was uh-huh. working just outside the airport circle in Philadelphia, and uh, before I even had that job, uh, I was still working at the old Nautilus Gym, Huff and Puff Gym in Drexel Hill, and uh, <laughs> I I got a job at Broad Meadows Prison. 
<laughs> I was supposed to get hired as a recreational director. <laughs> See, in those days, it was like, you know, when you're a health and PE guy, it was pretty broad, you know. Um, I, I, I took a, a driver's ed uh, course to teach, you know, people driving. Uh, there was a health education part of it. And uh, there's also uh, recreational courses. So I was qualified to run, you know, recreational programs. And I got hired to run the recreational program at Broadmeadows Prison. Unfortunately, the week I was to start, the guards went on strike. <laughs> and, you know, I was crossing the picket line every day, <laughs> considered a scab. Of course, I was just a kid. I had no clue what was going on. And uh, I was in this prison, and I was basically... Um, pressed into guard duty, wearing a guard uniform, no training, zero training, and with some, you know, some real criminals, you know, murderers and, you know, bank robbers and stuff, you know. I mean, it was, you know, a lot of these guys were waiting trial, you know. Uh, it, it was kind of a whole, it, it was like a, a temporary place for guys going to the big house, the big state prisons. But still, we had some bad dudes in there, man. You know, there was, uh, you know, uh, motorcycle gang members in there, you know, arch criminals, drug dealers and everything. So, you know, but I got along pretty good. You know, I, I was like one of these spare guys. But, oh, my God, I hated that job. You know, you work 10-hour shifts. You weren't allowed to read. You know, uh, it was just horrible, man. And it was hot, no air conditioning. It's brutal in there. So... I went from that job, which was tough, to an even tougher job, teaching seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. <laughs> In some ways, the prison was almost better. <laughs> Kids of that age are pretty tough. Although I, I love teaching PE, but man, teaching health is rough. To the, and these, these are some pretty tough kids, you know, from the Falkroft, Sharon Hill area, you know, kind of uh, lower middle class uh, Irish Catholics. The school I was teaching at was a converted Catholic school that had been it went public, and uh, it, yeah, the, the, these these kids were yeah. I had a kid that tried to sell me a gun in school, man. <laughs> so you did. So you decided I'm going to move on from that, and then you started. What did you do from there? Well, I was working uh, full time at a uh, the Nautilus Sports Fitness Center in Brumo, and uh, I really enjoyed that a lot. But then I went through this stage, you know, I went through a divorce and I just kind of withdrew from society. And I lived in an Indian teepee out on Groundhog College Road in Emeryville, PA. And uh, it was a friend's land. And I started working part time at his health food store. It was called Sustenance. It was like a you know, real old school health food store with real whole foods. And I basically just kind of became a hippie almost, you know, I, uh, you know, I grew up beard and had hair and down my shoulders and I sold my car. I got rid of all my worldly possessions and I moved in this teepee and I just rode a bike and I had like a, a duffel bag and like a trunk. That was all I owned. Uh, I, I, I had been married very early in life. I got a girl pregnant when I was like a, a teenager in high school. And uh, in those days you married the girl. And, uh, you know, we, we both came from very religious families, so abortion was completely out of the question. 
So I married this girl as a 17 year old and uh, I, I lived at her parents' house like the, the last half of my senior year in uh, college. And when I went to Westchester, I lived in the dorm the first year, but then uh, we got an apartment together and I was always working, you know, weekends and, and, you know, sometimes evenings, you know, and we, we, uh, we had a, a daughter. So, uh, of course, you know, teenage marriage isn't going to last. After I got my job, uh, after, you know, teaching school, uh, pretty much we got, we got divorced. And from that point, I just decided just to get rid of everything and just become like this kind of hippie hermit living in a teepee and uh, on my friend's property who owned the uh, health food store. And then I did all these weird odd jobs, you know. Uh, once again, I wasn't afraid of hard work. So, you know, I, I worked for a, uh, a, uh, a tree guy, uh, a landscaper guy. Uh, man, that's a, that's a brutal job, you know, planting trees with the big tree balls and, you know, uh, digging holes and, you know, going and maintaining, uh, you know, d different, uh, this guy had contracts with banks and schools and car dealerships. And, you know, you go and you take care of their, their, uh, their landscaping needs. And uh, yeah, I worked part-time at the health food store. Yeah. You know, and then, and then, and then you train, when did you, when did your career start to kind of mushroom into the whole fitness? I know you had your own gym and how, how did that all transpire? Well, I did a, a stint in the military. Uh, I just, you know, I, I had been job jumping around and living like this hi weird hippie kind of thing. And uh, I went down to uh, Florida, to Key West, where I got a job as a lifeguard. Uh, that was another thing. I, you know, with the PE uh, degree, you, you know, you got your water safety, uh, your water safety uh, certificate. So I, I worked at the Casa Marina Hotel in Key West, Florida. And uh, I, I was convinced that maybe the world was coming to an end or something. <laughs> and I thought, well, you know, you can be poor and, and cold or you can be poor and warm. Why not get down to Florida? But I just didn't want to go to Florida. I wanted to go all the way down to Key West, man. So I did. And I always wanted to see the Keys. And I got this job and, and, and it just so happened that the first person I met when I got off the bus, I had like $10 to my name. <laughs> the first guy I met was somebody that I used to know from the Philadelphia area that, that worked out of the gym where I was a trainer. And he, he offered me, uh, his sister was one of the DuPonts who was, you know, fabulously, yeah, those DuPonts. And uh, they, uh, they invited me to stay with them in their front room. Uh, I, I had a place to stay for free. Yeah, fifteen dollars to my name. I got this job like three days later at the Casa Marina Hotel, free meals at the hotel, lifeguarding. You know, cushy job. Uh, but then, uh, of course, you know, I overstayed my welcome. You know, I was there for a couple months, and you know, they wanted you know me to get going. You know, they wanted their space back. So it just so happened the place next door. Uh, it was being house sat on by a former army ranger and he had to go. The woman was in Atlanta uh, visiting her daughter and they needed someone just to kind of keep an eye on the place. So I got a free place to stay. So I had another place to stay house sitting. And it was there that I was getting real bored, you know, with life. I'm thinking, what the hell am I doing, Steve? And uh, every day 
there was a there was a military base down there in Key West, the uh, naval station, and there was a Marine Corps contingent down there, and they would go running every morning in formation, and just for the hell of it, I used to run with the Marines, and uh, the the major used to say, Maxwell, we could use a good guy, we could use a good guy, you know, so I decided I was going to enlist, but there was no Marine Corps enlistment area anywhere down there in south part of Florida. So I enlisted in the Army and ended up uh, going to Fort Benning, Georgia, and uh, ended up in Germany. And uh, I just wanted the military experience, you know. And I, I enjoyed Germany a lot. Uh, it was interesting because uh, I went by one of the gyms one day, and there was a wrestling tournament. I said, what the hell? You know? And I borrowed a singlet and shoes, went in and won it. You know, I was a pretty good college wrestler. And uh, from that point, my, my, my military career was quite cushy. I just basically uh, worked out and uh, wrestled. The, in those days, they were very big on German-American relations. And, you know, I was uh, working with the German wrestling club in the nearby town. And uh, I went and won the uh, USRA championship, and I qualified for all-army in, uh, in Berlin. That's you know, the wall was still up. And uh, when my stint was up, I decided that that's enough army for me. I really didn't want to make a career of it anyway. Went back to Carlisle. Lived in the old Carlisle YMCA. You know, I didn't have that much money. I was too proud to live with my parents, you know. And uh, so I lived in this old YMCA and got a... Uh, job working at Goodwill Industries. Basically, I had to train uh, edu ed um, retarded people. Uh, most of these uh, could be educated. Many of them were older in their 40s or getting near 50. They needed, many of their parents were, you know, going to be passing soon. They needed to be able to take care of themselves. So I had a whole crew of uh, guys that I used to take out and taught them how to mow lawns was something I was intimately familiar with from my youth. And uh, also, uh, I led a cl cleaning crew. We used to clean law offices and, uh, once again, banks, car dealerships with my crew of uh, these really sweet, 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 uh, uh, educable, uh, retarded folk. Uh, many of them had Down syndrome and, you know, various things like that. And, uh, yeah, Goodwill was actually pretty interesting. I, I enjoyed it. And, uh, you know, th th that's also tough work. But then um, I got a, a call from one of my friends who had opened up a Nautilus gym and wanted me to come up and be a trainer. And uh, this is a guy I used to work with at Broomall. So I went up to back to Westchester where I graduated and worked with this guy and uh, helped him run this Nautilus gym. So it was, you know, it, it was just so very how, interesting time. So how, how did you make your way? So you started, um, so that's when you really started your, your fitness career started really, really coming together. And well, not what, even that, man, you know, I was job jumping. I, you know, I was pretty much a nomad, you know, moving around. I, I had a stint down uh, in uh, Virginia working at the, uh, this school, uh, New Dominions for uh, bad boys. These were kids that had done crimes and got sent to this special uh, kind of like a reform school. It was an outdoor wilderness school. And I was like, you know, uh, basically like a, a 
a supervisor for uh, uh, a, a co-supervisor. There's three of us on site. These kids uh, built their own structures, lived in the wild, and were 100% responsible for their own well-being. You know, if they get wet, well, you should have built that shelter a little bit better. You know, you're cold. Well, you know, you should have watched the fire. You know, that kind of thing, you know. And some of these were pretty tough kids, you know. Uh, and uh, so I did that for a while. But that gets old fast, too. You know, that's that's pretty tough work. These kids sure. are really needy and so forth. You know, and living out in the woods is, it gets so old, I, too. So I guess, how did you, how did the, your your career kind of, where do you think your career kind of took off? And then how when did you I came it? back to Philadelphia, okay. I came, I came to Philly with one of the other counselors. He was from Philly. I was, you know, familiar with Philly, but I never really knew that much about it. And this guy and me decided, you know, screw this working in this wilderness school. Let's, let's go back. And I went back to Philly. And by the way, in the meantime, I had also had another job at a, 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 another gym for a while, which was pretty interesting. And I was also coaching wrestling part-time at uh, Henderson High School. And my, my main job was working at a funeral home. <laughs> my job was to pick up the dead people, the stiffs. We'd get calls and I, did, I, did I would get a call, you know, in the middle of the night and I'd go and I'd, you know, go with the stretcher and body bag and it was usually old folks home. Where do you think the majority of old people die, by the way? This is a well-known fact, but not many people know this. Uh, in their home, I assume. In, in the toilet. Straining to have a bowel movement to stroke out or have a heart attack. Oh, I, I never it's very that. common. More common than you can imagine. Oh my God. And let me ask you, so you, so after you started, after you, you came back to Philadelphia, your, your fitness career started to come together. And then how did you make your way out to California to start doing jujitsu? How did that all come together? Well, I, uh, you know, I was still a young guy at this point, even though I'd been roaming and job jumping and all that. Uh, I went to a place called Club Club 24. Run, it was a very popular fitness chain. It was tw open 24 hours. It was a new concept. And it was like three lines of, you know, brand new Nautilus equipment. And I got a job, and it's more sales than anything, you know. And uh, I thrived in that environment because I really knew how to work people out, and I knew what Nautilus equipment was all about. I'd been trained by one of the best guys in the business uh, at that time, and uh, I got transferred to a new site down near this place called the Society Hill Club. And that's where my fitness career really took off. I uh, I uh, went to the owner of the Society Oak Club and I pitched him on the idea. I noticed that their fitness facility was pretty poor on getting a line of Nautilus and running it and manage it for them and, and make it like a separate money-making profit center for him in this huge building called the Society Oak Club, the 250 South 5th Street. There's still a club there to this day. I think uh, it was bought out by New York Athletic Club, a New York chain that came down. So uh, I ran that thing for quite a few years, uh, mostly through the 80s. And I became quite well known. I did all sorts of crazy stuff. You know, I was on uh, local TV. I was interviewed on Good Morning America. Uh, I, I did this. Uh, this is at the, the height of the, uh, the 
dance aerobics craze. And I saw an opportunity. I said, wait a second, you know? Okay, let's make something really hardcore instead of this aerobic dance. Why don't we make it like a hardcore calisthenic boot camp kind of workout? I was doing boot camp before anybody was doing that stuff. So I used to go in and we would do, we'd play music because, you know, I wanted to get the girls in there too. And it was real hardcore. And I, I dressed up in my old military uniform. And, uh, you know, <laughs> I would have like a, a like a, a fake gun and grenades and stuff, you know. And, <laughs> and we called it Rambo Aerobics. <laughs> That's hilarious. And people either loved it or hated it, you know. So I had the local TV people come because mm. it was really like, well, what is this nut doing, you know? Really eccentric, you know. And they was filmed it, me. Was, was it a good workout? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah, man. It was really good. You know, I, I, I was doing circuit training, you know, uh, with group. You know, I put all these different stations and people would go from circuit to circuit. and You know, we were doing all sorts of crazy stuff, you know. And uh, but people loved it, man. It was like a cult following almost. You know, so, so I was on the cover of uh, the local TV guide. Uh, I was on Good Morning America. Uh, the, I was on twice on People Are Talking. So the word got out. You know, that's when things started to expand. Then interviews from different magazines, and right about that time, right about uh, eighty nine, uh, the owner apparently was having a lot of financial problems. I'm not sure exactly what was going on. I had heard he had a gambling thing. I, I don't know. But all I know is one day the sheriff came in and foreclosed in the property and chased everyone out. And they put chains in the door. And a lot of the equipment I had bought myself and put in there. And thank God, I had been very, over time, buying a piece of hammer strength equipment and putting it in the basement of my uh, my row house. We, I had married. Uh, I had just a brand new baby boy, but I had slowly, you know, each every couple months buying a piece of hammer strength equipment. Plus, I had barbells, dumbbells, all in this little tiny row house basement. It was really packed up in there. So I had enough for a starter line, and I had people coming over to my house while the gym was shut down. In the meantime, you know, I, I was trying to get permission to get my equipment out of that place, you know, stuff that I own. And um, lo and behold, one of my clients uh, from the old Society Hill, his name was Bernie Spain, very, very wealthy guy. He had built himself up from nothing, nothing, to like this multimillionaire. He owns Spain's card and gift stores. And, you know, this guy lectures at Wharton Business School on how to build a business. I mean, you know, he, he, he literally went from working with his wife and his kids crawling around in the aisles to like thousands of stores all across the United States. And he said, look, I got a space for you where you can open up. And I won't charge you any rent for the first you know, few months. He says, it's really rough. It's like an old warehouse space. So it was over in 707 Chestnut Street. And I, I looked at it, and man, it was rough. It was like, you know, water damage. It was an old building. It was an old textile manufacturing uh, plant from way back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. So I got a couple of high school football players, and we cleaned that place out over two weeks. You know, we just 
tourist up out of there with a big dumpster throwing shit out the window. Didn't get any permits, nothing. <laughs> you know, I didn't know anything about that stuff. You know, I we cleaned it up and made it presentable. And uh, I only borrowed $10,000 to do it. And I had 10 clients that gave me $1,000 each up front for workouts. So I started on a, a gym on a shoestring budget of only $20,000. But I got it up and running and people would come in and we called it Maxercise, which was kind of a joke, you know, Steve Maxwell and Maxercise. Yeah. I had a client one time say, man, I've just been Maxercise. <laughs> <laughs> and how, and then how did the whole kettlebell craze start? Because you started, that was, you're like considered kind of like the, one of the founders. One of the early guys. Well, I got my hammer strength and vintage Nautilus and we kept, you know, reinvesting in the gym. Before you know it, I had 11 trainers working for me, uh, full and part-time, a full-time desk person. And right about that time, I got interested in Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, about 89, I, I discovered the Gracie brothers. This is all happening all at the same time. And uh, I went out to a seminar in uh, New York and uh, then later Persephone, New Jersey. And uh, I started going out to California and training at the newly formed Gracie Academy. My first lesson was in the garage. They didn't even have an academy. And then they built, Hoarion started the Gracie Academy. And I went out there and I really liked it. So I decided to put mats in my gym in the back. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was a former wrestling coach. I knew how to conduct practices. I knew how to teach. I had a PE degree. What I didn't have was expertise in jiu-jitsu, but, you know, it was nobody else. There was no Henzo Gracie or Marcelo Garcia or, you know, any of these guys, you know. It was just me. So uh, I started getting a big following. So much so I had to open up the second floor of the building and rent that. And I ended up with 2,500 square feet of mat, which is a big space, man. All all old Resolite mats that I got from Sunbury PA, like uh, refurbished mats or whatever. And I started transitioning. I I really got into this jujitsu thing. And I was a little dissatisfied with where I was in life. Maybe it called a midlife crisis. By this point, I was in my mid-40s. And I felt like, I don't know, like I was missing something with my conditioning or whatever. What in reality it was, was I'd already reached my genetic peak and I was going down. You know, um, most true. people reach their genetic peak between three to five years, some sooner. And it can be a tough thing for a guy that was always performance oriented. All my training was always geared towards becoming a better wrestler or athlete. Uh, I never really got bit by the powerlifting bug or the weightlifting bug. You know, I had a brief stint with powerlifting, but you know, I quickly realized that powerlifting strength and the skills of handling heavy barbells don't really translate at all into uh, grappling and wrestling. And I had tried a bunch of other martial arts, too, by the way. I was at the Society Oak Club. I did uh, Bondo, which was the mother art of Muay Thai. You know, I, I did boxing. Uh, I did Kempo Karate. I, I, I did um, uh, uh, Kung Fu and another type of karate. But I don't know. I, I just wanted something more grappling-oriented. I uh, went up to the Northeast and was doing Russian Sambo, 
but man, it was so hard to get there, you know, because of the traffic, you know, because the classes were around rush hour. So, you know, just to drive, you know, just like 12 miles would take like an hour, you know. So, you know, that, uh, but I enjoyed the Russian Samba, which was like a hybrid wrestling judo. And so, um, you, so, so you started, so you started like focusing on, that's when you started focusing on mobility and those kind of exercises because you, yes. started, to, you started to realize, you know what, I'm getting older. I want to use, I want to do some, I, I, is it because, because you were losing mobility or you kind of foresaw what was going to happen? I since? just thought that uh, maybe like, how did the mighty men of old work? You know, what did these ancient grapplers do before we had all this sophisticated stuff? And I was always kind of a minimalist. I got into the uh, swinging the Indian clubs and the mace. This is way before anyone was doing this stuff. And, you know, I read an article in Milo magazine. I used to get this uh, strength magazine, Milo. And uh, it came out four times a year. A great little magazine. And there was an article by Pablo Sitsolin in there. It was called uh, uh, Vodka, Pickle Juice, and Kettlebells in the Morning. as like a, um, a tongue-in-cheek uh, Russian cure for hangover. And uh, of course, in those days, everything about Russia was like very mysterious and, you know, the Iron Curtain. And, you know, all we knew of Russia was like what we saw in the Olympics, you know, these magnificent athletes and they're always so good at everything. And I, I got intrigued with all this Russian this and Russian that. So I called Pavel, cold called him. I thought, how many Setsolians can be in the St. Paul, Minnesota phone book? And he was really nice, man. We really hit it off. So we decided to meet at the Arnold Schwarzenegger Fitness Show out there in Columbus, Ohio. And at that time, I had started doing uh, combat conditioning, this Matt Fury course with the Hindu squats and Hindu push-ups, you know. And um, I was, uh, my son was actually helping Matt Fury do a demonstration. Uh, my son, Zach, was like a phenom from the get-go. And uh, he was doing amazing stuff even when he was just like a, a grade school kid, you know. So he went out and did a demonstration of bridging gymnastics with Matt Fury at the uh, fitness show. And I met Pavel, sat down with him and the head of Dragon Door, John Duquesne. And um, I got invited to go to the first uh, certification course. In the meantime, one of my students at my new jujitsu school worked in a metal shop and he had made me a couple kettlebells. And uh, they're pretty crude. I didn't really know much about kettlebells other than just a little bit I read. But, you know, I had learned Olympic lifting as a kid and I had a pretty good foundation in strength and conditioning. I was just messing around with these kettlebells and coming up with all these different routines. So I went out, I met Pavel, and I got invited to his first uh, RKC certification course and was one of the first guys to get certified in, under his system. And, uh, it, you know, I never missed a, a cert. I think I might have missed one or two, the old uh, RKC teacher trainings out there in Minnesota. And I quickly became like a senior instructor. And, you know, so let me, it was so real let me interesting. Let me ask you now. So you you are like, I mean, we, we all know you're famous for your you're a great instructor. We uh, you're a legendary instructor in jujitsu. And one of the things that um, I'm interested in also knowing is, in terms of 
in terms of advice for people, in terms of advice, in terms of key, how important mobility is, can you go into a little bit how important that is and well, sure. what, you, what you recommend and to, for all of us to stay fit and, and able to move when we're, you know, as, as, we, as we age? Well, one of the things I discovered uh, along, you know, because I was looking at and researching all these different things. I, you know, I got real interested in the yoga there for a while. You know, the yoga craze hit in the 80s, the Sangha yoga. And you know, in the 90s, it got huge, man. And, and I was definitely uh, doing yoga. I was doing everything, you know, just to try to keep as fit and mobile and young as I could because I wanted to get better at jujitsu. In the meantime, I was bringing the Gracies out to the East Coast. And uh, so all this stuff was in an effort to become a better jujitsu guy. I was in a real quest to get my black belt in jujitsu, and that's not easy. I mean, you know, it takes the average guy somewhere between, um, you know, 10 to 15 years to get a black belt in, in jujitsu. So I hey, want to get hey, one. Steve, hey, Steve, let me tell you, you are, I love you because you're old school because I, I try telling people that nowadays people get those black belts in two or three years, and I'm, I try telling people, you know what, that would have never happened. You know, no years way, ago. The man. original, the original OG, the original jujitsu people, you're talking 10, 15 years, and yeah, it's totally a different game now, that's for sure. So, you know, that that was all this stuff I was into, you know, and, and I, I discovered a guy, um, uh, Scott Sonnen, really uh, interesting guy. He has this grapples toolbox. So I started investigating um, some of the things that he was doing. You know, he, he was really touting the Russian training principles and methods and all that stuff. So I, I, I took a bunch of his courses. And um, I'd already known a little bit about club swinging, but, uh, you know, I, uh, he was really into the club bell, and I, that was his baby. And, you know, I, I took a bunch of seminars with those guys and was just putting all this stuff together. But I'd like to fast forward, and this may become as a shock, but I am absolutely anti-kettlebell. If you want to really mess your body up, start lifting kettlebells. Now, I know there's a lot of young guys out there. They are doing them, and I'm not saying they don't work. Absolutely, they work. But they're not a very sustainable way of training over your life. And the people I started out with in the kettlebell business, most of them are really damaged. Their joints, arthritis, osteoarthritis, hip replacements, shoulder replacements, elbow surgeries, knee surgeries. My ex-wife, D.C. Maxwell, she blames the kettlebell for her hip replacement. She was on the cover of From Russia with Tough Love, one of Pavel's, uh, he was his first book on kettlebells for women. She was the pretty blonde in the front cover. She was the third American woman to get a black belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu in America. And she had to have her hip replaced. And I'm telling you, I was just talking to Mike Mahler, one of the original guys. He doesn't look kettlebells anymore. Some some of the guys are still at it that I started with, you know. Some guys just got so hung up and so brainwashed with it. I learned later that a lot of these so-called Russian programs that we were loving so much was Russian disinformation to fuck America up. A lot of these programs, so-called Russian research, is bullshit. It is Russian disinformation. Notice in the world's strongest man in powerlifting and Olympic weightlifting, America has gone 
doubt. It was just about the time we adopted these so-called Eastern philosophy type workouts. I, uh, I, I read a very interesting and very compelling arti- uh, article uh, by a guy that claims that it was all Russian disinformation. And I should have known better, you know. I, uh, I I know a guy by the name of Dr. Ted Lambernides that was on a part of an exchange program. And he went over there to study Soviet training methods. And he was one of the founders of Hammer Strength, high-intensity training. And he said that he discovered in a file cabinet that the Russian coaches were actually taking programs out of the old muscle and power magazine from America. That so. all this so-called sophisticated systems, the tonnage systems, you know, percent this and that, and all these complicated formulas were all crap designed to uh, basically mess American weightlifters up and strength athletes. So, so, so sounds weird. Sounds like a conspiracy theory, maybe. But, you know, the proof is America sucked in most strength sports nowadays. So what? Um, so now, so now your major focus is on mobility stuff, and you train. I know that you do. You still teach. Well, I went back to um, super slow body weight training. Very, very good stuff. You know, slow, high tension reps. You know something interesting though. You know, I've been to Russia eight times. I started getting real interested in a uh, Russian martial art called Sistema. And uh-huh. uh, I trained in Toronto with uh, Vladimir Vasiliev. I went to Moscow and trained with his teacher, Michael Ryatko. But then I discovered there's more than one type of Sistema, you know, because some of the stuff seemed a little woo-woo to me. And I, I went down to Krasnodar and trained with the father of Russian uh, military martial arts, Alexei Alexevich Kadesnikov. And I trained with him and his son, Arkady. And then I found a Ukrainian guy who was in the former USSR military, Colonel Alexander Maximsov. And I went down to the Canary Islands and studied with that guy and got my teaching certification from, from Colonel Maximsov, who's a Ukrainian badass. And uh, his stuff is fantastic. And along with it were many awesome exercises and mobility drills. And none of these guys were swinging kettlebells. None of them were doing heavy weights. They're doing a lot of isometrics, slow, high-tension, uh, bodyweight calisthenics. And it, it, it fell right into place with the old... Uh, Nautilus training principles, you know, the old Mike Menser, uh, Dorian Yates, you know, Ellington Darden, Arthur Jones. The Russians in Sistema were very much aligned with a lot of the ideas. So it kind of gelled in my mind that this is a good way for aging bodies to work. Forget all this lifting and swinging and heaving and throwing and all that stuff. I mean, I'm involved with jujitsu, right? That's dangerous enough. That can be hard in your body. But it's a recreation. I go in there accepting the fact that martial arts can be dangerous. I expect that there's a chance I can get hurt. But you should never get hurt in your in your training with strength training. If you're getting hurt strength training, you should take a hard look at what you're doing because strength training should prevent injuries, not cause. Now, um, I'm not talking about weightlifting or competing in Olympic lifting or powerlifting. That's a sport. CrossFit is a sport, but it's not a good hey, way 
to condition yourself for other stuff. Hey, Steve, um, one second. My producer said um, we're going to have to wrap it up, and he's. We're gonna, I'm going to set up another one for you because there's so much more to go over. Is that? Yeah, would that I'll be, have to would, un uh, unpack. Would that? Would that be okay? Absolutely. Okay, I'm going to email you right. I'm going to email you right after this. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much, Steve. I'll talk to you soon. I want to continue this. Yeah. Yeah. Part okay. two coming. Yes. Okay. All right. <laughs> thank you. Okay. Bye -bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.